Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Hey, Kristen, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you guys, today I welcome back Dr. Kristen Valerius, who is a psychologist in Portland, Oregon, and who has been helping us kind of navigate screen time. If you look back at a couple episodes ago, we talked about how can we help our kids and ourselves to understand the culture that that creates our relationship with screen time. And today we wanted to talk about two specific types of kids, kids who have ADHD and kids who have anxiety and how to support them in the best way possible and support ourselves if we have kids who fall into those two categories. And if you go back a couple episodes ago, I talked about kind of high needs kids from a really global perspective. Like for all kids who are high needs or high needs families, what can you do to help yourself thrive? But in this episode, I'm really excited because Kristen's going to go a little deeper on kids specifically with ADHD and anxiety. So Kristen, first of all, I would love to hear your perspective on how parents can kind of look at their kids with these two diagnoses and think about them from an overall perspective. Okay. Well, first off, I I know this material, both because of the families that come into my office that I have the privilege to walk alongside, but I also know it personally. So I have ADHD. I have kids with, we, in, in our family, we just like all the letters we've just between me and my husband (laughs) got a mix of ADHD and anxiety, a little bit of Tourette's in here. So I'm living this also really personally as I navigate being a mama with my kids. So I think that the understanding of, of how we see our kids is crucial to what we do with parenting. A lot of times people will ask me, why are we trying to diagnose them with ADHD? I don't even know if I believe in it. And if the only point of diagnosis is because you're going to want to put them on meds, why do it? And the med discussion is a whole separate thing that, that families need to face. But a diagnosis is helpful or even just a recognition. If you don't think that you're at that level and you aren't working with a professional, even just a recognition because it helps you know what you're kid is going to naturally struggle with and to kind of accept who they are, how they are wired. And within that wiring and that makeup, then you can work with them. Because what I find is a lot of kids who struggle with anxiety or who struggle with ADHD, they get caught in these cycles of who they want to be when they're calm and who they are when they're triggered. And that those are like these different kids So if parents are getting frustrated 
why do they always do this? Why do they always do that? I can't stop this. I can't stop that. Then they don't know how to properly respond. We kind of need the like frame or the structure set up so we know what we're working with. And so I think that's where the mindset, the view, the lens of our kids really matters. With ADHD, I actually, honestly, I hate the name because it's so misleading about what it actually is. Kids with ADHD can pay attention just fine. Usually they can only pay attention well to things they love. So I would rather have it called self-regulation goal disorder, which isn't a very fancy name. It won't (laughs) stick around very long, but it tells us much more what it is. Yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue, but more descriptive for sure. (laughs) Right. And that's really the key is that kids with ADHD have difficulty regulating themselves to get to a goal. And so sometimes that means they're not paying attention to the right stuff because they're focusing on something else. But a lot of times it just means that their body is really competing with a lot of different things to to regulate those goals. And I have a little like rule of thumb that I give families to to pay attention to the areas where self-regulation can get affected. So it's a, think about a cup of tea. Okay, a cup of tea is going to be the the little acronym that helps us remember. So A T E A. And so the first A is attention. The T is thought. The E is emotions. And the next A is action. So those are the four ways where like self-regulation, what you're going to do, what you're paying attention to, what you're thinking about, how you manage your emotions, what you're planning to do with yourself. All four of those areas can be affected by self-regulation. And self-regulation is really more like a kind of like a fuel tank. You know, like all of us have our own tank of regulation, right? During, during coronavirus, our tanks, I feel like, have just kind of shrunk as parents and stuff, right? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Hand to the sky. Yes. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) But we've had like a bad day and been stuck in traffic and like, oh, a bunch of taxes or something. And we come home and we're supposed to have a disagreement with our partner. We're not going to have that disagreement. Well, we're going to not manage our emotion. And we're going to think like, oh my goodness, he's such a jerk. I can't believe he says these things. And we're going to like, say stuff that we didn't mean to say that we shouldn't have, right? That means our fuel tank got depleted. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have anything left to like regulate ourselves and make better choices, right? Every, every human being has that. Mm -hmm. And so that tank drains more frequently when it drains, it drains bigger and it doesn't refill replenish as quickly with a kid who has ADHD because of their neurologic structure, because of the brain structure. So little things drain their tank and you try and get them back on track and it doesn't fill up as well. And so those four areas are going to be affected then when that tank gets gets hit. So the same thing is true with anxiety is that anxiety runs off of that same fuel tank because that fuel tank is really the integration of our like mental capacities, our like front brain stuff with our survival, emotional, instinctual caveman brain in kind of the back. 
And so it's really that connection between those two. So if you are experiencing a lot of stressors and your body never settles because of your anxiety response, then that's going to drain your fuel tank too. One of the things since we're talking that I always want to mention about anxiety, parents often only think of anxiety with regards to worry, but Mm -hmm. actually anxiety also, it shows up a lot in tantrums. So if you have a fight or flight response, right? Flight is worry, shut down, shyness, withdrawal, tearfulness. But fight is tantrums, aggression, hostility, yelling, kicking your sister, throat punching, (laughs) all the things Mm -hmm. that toddlers will do. So they sometimes don't recognize that all of that angry tantrum behavior can be due to anxiety. I love this framework because I think it takes away shame. I think it takes away this idea that like a kid is bad or that they're trying to act out or that they're just not like they don't listen as well as other kids do. It instead biologically explains that they literally have like less wiggle room Mm -hmm. than other kids do or that their reserve, their like well of reserve is less deep than other kids well is. And that that's not anyone's fault. (laughs) That's just the way that they were made. And that there can be beautiful things that come out of that later on in their life. And even then like cool, really cool. Like they're like deep feelers. They feel all the things and that could be amazing. But that as you're, as a parent dealing with this kid, that my own experience has been that I'm tempted to feel shame around my child's behavior. And that somehow, like, if I just like, you know, worked my parenting muscles harder, that I could make her a different kid. And that in reality, it's like, I got to just help her with the skills or give her some of the supports we're going to talk about, do some of these things. But that man, when she comes back to that and has those tantrums or does withdraw like that, it's because like biologically there is a skill that she's lacking or that there is a, a makeup that's just a little different than other, than other kids. Absolutely. That's exactly it. It helps keep the shame from kids because kids with ADHD often hear this, like, you're just not trying hard enough or mm-hmm. you just don't care or you're, he, he's lazy or all these things that are like attributions to someone's character which don't really apply. And it helps keep the shame from parents because Mm -hmm. parents are like, if only I, I, I'm supposed to have a kid who does this and all the other moms, whatever. So it, that's absolutely right. Whitney, that's the whole point. But I see a thought trap we can get in as parents then. And a lot of parents will say this in my office. Well, then since they can't help it, I'm not supposed to get on them for it. Right. Oh, hundred percent. This is like similar to like just a three-year-old, right? Who they have tantrums. Their their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. They're right. acting out of their limbic system or their emotional center. And you'll see parents be like, "Well, I need to just like be with them in their emotions," which is totally true. You got to like work through that. That's evidence based that you need to like emotion coach them and work through it. But you still have to have a limit, right? Well, and kids with ADHD, because of the way their processing happens, they will need more frequent feedback, not less. 
right? right? So you you can't not give them the feedback, the structure, the guide rails, all of that, just because they can't help it, right? Or because that's how they're wired, they're going to need more of it. But yeah. while you're delivering the feedback and the guardrails, you have to understand they're not trying to. They don't want it this way. Same thing with anxiety, right? Kids with anxiety are going to need more work in facing the things that stress them out, not less. Yeah. It's not your job to rescue them from all of the stressors and keep them from feeling uncomfortable. It's your job to help them face the things that stress them out while understanding this is super hard. You're not just yeah. trying to be, not go to sleep another night in a row, or you're not just trying to, you know, all the different phobias, the OCD, all the different ways that, that anxiety can show up. So it's that, that I get it. And so then this is what we're going to do about it. This is how we're going to work on it. Yeah. That is the, that's the secret sauce. Yes. It's the marriage of those two things. Like I have a deep understanding of where you are. So I have empathy for you and for myself that this is difficult. And at the same time, I am so committed to you that I want you to build those skills and to be able as an adult and even just in your childhood experience to be able to face things and thrive and all that. And so I know I have to work really diligently with you to get past some of those things or to confront them in a way that's healthy for you and without shame. So yeah, absolutely. You have a really cool flower analogy that you use for these kiddos. I was just thinking about that. And I have to say, this is not really my analogy, but I love it so much that I steal it all the time. So this, (laughs) This is Joel Niggs, Dr. Joel Niggs analogy. And he's written a book recently about ADHD that's fabulous. It's a little heady for some families, but it's really great. So he talked about that you can see your kids like an orchid or a dandelion. Dandelions can grow anywhere. They're super adaptable. They're big pop of color. They thrive. They're resilient, all kinds of different conditions, but they're also fairly common And they don't have some of the intricacies and uniqueness of an orchid. And orchids cannot grow anywhere in the medium or the garden that a dandelion would grow in. And if you really want to grow an orchid, you have to pay attention to the ingredients that the orchid needs. And so if we're expecting to be able to raise our kids like a dandelion and that they can go to soccer practice without throwing a fit about their socks or that they will easily learn the skill of going to timeout when you ask them to, instead of throwing a fit and you got to like, kind of, you know, they're stomping and kicking along the way. We're probably trying to raise a dandelion and that we need to think about, okay, what are the essential elements in an orchid garden? And wishing we were raising a dandelion doesn't change it. So it's just about accepting this is where we're planted. This is what we've got. And now let's make this garden bloom the best we can. Totally. I think that's essential. I mean, I really think coming to grips with who are you dealing with (laughs) and what does your family need to look like? What does the structure need to look like? What does the school environment need to look like? What are all the things need to look like Mm -hmm. to help this person be their best self, to help them grow is really really important. And I think side note too, right? As you know, as a psychologist, right? Like it's not about boom, I accept it. It's all good. 
Totally. Here's my orchid, right? Like that takes deep work too on your own, maybe with your own therapist or, you know, with a group of other people who are also raising orchids to have like commonality and to go through your own emotions around like, man, it sucks sometimes to raise an orchid. (laughs) Like, like it's harder to raise an orchid. Why am I the one that has to raise an orchid? I don't want to raise an orchid. Right. Even though like, gosh, orchids are like so beautiful and delicate and intricate, but yeah, they are more likely to wilt in the sun, you know, than a dandelion. And so like giving just like a, a, the moment and space to say, we are not saying boom, poof, here you go. Be okay with the fact that you have an orchid. But in the end, whatever deep work you can do to come to grips with the fact that that is what's happening in your family will only help so that then you're not trying to basically have blinders on as to what you're dealing with, right? With, for your kid and for your family. Or expecting an outcome that just isn't going to happen from those dots you're connecting. But yeah. I think that if you're, if you're an orchid gardener, connecting with other orchid gardeners is crucial. It's like mandatory. About a year ago, I started a group for moms with orchid kids. Mm-hmm. And it has been the most amazing process to watch those women connect. And it was so necessary because often the connections that were available maybe to like dandelion parents weren't available to them. You know, the soccer teams or the PTA experiences or, you know, what do you do if you're the, the mom who, whose preschooler is getting kicked out of a school and building other mom relationships or going over to people's houses can be really tricky. So I think that there's, you know, a lot to talk about and how we help our kids, but ultimately we got to help our mamas, which is exactly what this podcast is for. So really a plug for how to find community. And, and it's been interesting now that those moms have been meeting for a year. They are, before they would kind of shy away, and now they're stepping into this process where they've become really bold about helping other families navigate going back to coronavirus when families are like overwhelmed and don't have resources and are like, how am I going to pot up? And they're like diving in and supporting moms and like, oh my gosh, people are hungry for this. And I, and it's been so great for them to recognize their gifting and coming along people who are struggling. Right. And so we can all build that network once we realize that it's okay, that our kids aren't exactly like the same mold of everyone else. Yeah. Yes. No, I agree with that. I think as a mom of an orchid kid, you become like so scrappy on everything else (laughs) because you have to be like, you become like this, like, like highly tuned machine, like where you are able to, in a way that other people don't have to. So they don't build this, this muscle, the skill like that. You're like, Oh, hold on. I know how to find like X, Y, Z resource. (laughs) Right. And I know how to just say, screw it. I'm not going to come over looking perfect. I'm frazzled today, but I can still connect with you. And, and at that level of like being able to be real, you know, Mm -hmm. is so helpful. And, and when you have kids who struggle, there's no option, but that, and that's what I think makes people feel isolated sometimes is because they feel like they're supposed to keep up some different image, but accepting that and, and being who you are, Like if you're going to raise an orchid, learn from other orchid gardeners. That just is so helpful for everything. So, yeah. And what are the other things? So, cause we talked about perspective and I think that's great. And then you said, okay, 
So you have these kids, you understand who they are, but you have to then do the work to make it so that then they do thrive. So what are the elements that you think parents need to do to make that happen? So I'll give you a longer list that you can put in the show notes for all the listeners and just some bullet points level to think about a variety of different ways. But a couple of the the essentials, I think. Number one, brain researchers will talk about big three. The big three that help with neurologic resilience and help with self-regulation and help with that fuel tank, keeping it as good as it can be. Exercise, sleep, and exposure to toxic stress. Those are the three things that literally impact wiring, availability, neurologic connections that get built or not. And so those are essential things to pay attention to and work through with your kids, which is tricky because sleep is almost always effective for both kids, kids with anxiety and kids with ADHD. Sleep is always an issue. So working on that with someone, if you you know your pediatrician, a psychologist, and then exercise can be really challenging because kids with self-regulation difficulties don't always like the exercise options available to them. So sometimes you have to get really creative. It's the trampoline, it's the dance party, it's the obstacle course, it's the teddy bear toss, it's those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But probably 30 to 60 minutes of exercise, maybe not all in one dose, but in your day, that's really shown to have such protective benefits for your brain. I am nodding my head emphatically. They can't see me. I'm like, yes, like my head is like reaching my chest because we went on a vacation with my daughter and sleep has always been an issue for us. Like she's not slept well since the day she's born. And we went and she was swimming in the pool for like hours at a time, you know, and she didn't consider it exercise. She's just playing in the pool. And we'd ride our scooters down to the pool. So she got the time on the scooter. Then she'd be in the pool. And then she would be in like the best mood. And also because of the exercise, she would sleep better. So I would like say to people from a pediatrician perspective, maybe like if you're going to choose between the two, go first for the exercise because that's going to like help you with sleep as well. And then, yes, I agree with the creativity part of it because- I have heard other psychologists talk about like some kids who have anxiety, at least they're like no kids, right? You're going to go, let's go on a, let's go on a walk. They go, no, I don't want to. Let's go to soccer with your friends. No, I don't want to. So you got to like, you know, now you have another time of struggle or confrontation with your child as you're trying to get them to do this thing that you know is going to help. And so making it fun and like under the guise of we're going to be doing something that is not exercise, but it provides them that movement to create the inertia that goes toward them actually having some heart pumping activity, I think is really awesome. We go, I take my daughter on runs with me and we put my iPhone on speaker and we play like the greatest showman and we just run and like skip and leap. And and I don't tell her we're going on a run. I'm like, Hey, we're going to, you know, Starbucks to get a tea, you know, on the way. way. Exactly. 
And I think that's the way to do it. Cause then you have one, you have, you're building a relationship with your kid. You're creating something where we're laughing. It's funny. I like to twirls in the air as we're going and like pirouettes or we take the scooter and I'm like, Hey, it's scooter ballet. You got to like put your leg out. to the side. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So I, I would just encourage people to be thinking about what are some ways that you can, sometimes you do need to create, of course, like those just like confrontations. Sorry, we are exercising. Let's go. But maybe to start out, you can create something where it's like, it's fun. It's an on the way. It's not stressful for your kid. You get them going so then they can get in the rhythm of exercise. Right. Or another example of making it creative because kids love to lead, especially when they're impulsive and they're always being told to like get in the box and do things. It's like big body Simon says, or like, so you be Simon and I'm going to do whatever you do. And, but it has to be big body. And then you're doing their crazy movements and you're like, okay, change it up. And they do another one and we're imitating them. Kids love that because we're so connected. It's called contingency. We're so connected to them and they're moving their body and we're enjoying it. And we're saying, it's okay for you to take that lead. And it's really restorative for for kids who struggle that way. So all kinds of different ways that you can be creative. And those are the kind of things you learn from hanging out with other orchid moms. Yes. Yes, exactly. You learn that stuff. And also the orchid moms will tell you like, here's my favorite mindfulness app for bedtime, sleep meditation, all those things. And we're in 2020. I mean, there's amazing technology around mindfulness apps that, you know, tons of online communities where you can find stuff like this. So I'll put a couple of my favorites on the show notes, but yeah, I think this is a place where reaching out to maybe resource groups or your community is, is going to be really helpful. Hi mama. Guess what? Our book, the new baby blueprint is out in the world. We're so excited because we know it's going to help change the new motherhood experience. The bump said, They say motherhood doesn't come with a manual, but the new baby blueprint comes pretty close. You can find it wherever books are sold or check it out at modernmommydoc.com forward slash book. So another high level important tool for kids with self-regulation difficulties is to focus on repair more than on performance. So we talk, these kids are going to mess up. These kids are going to say things that are embarrassing and hurtful. These kids are going to break stuff. I remember as a, when I was a kid, I was, my mom was getting ready in the bathroom. I must've been pretty young. And she had a salad dressing couch in her bag. And I was like squishing it because it felt good. And I popped it. And it went all over a bookshelf of hers. Oh, no. And I just, as a mom, can think she was running late. And I was like messing with her. And she was like, I just want to get ready. And then now she's got to like clean up all the oily books. And, you know, our kids are going to do stuff like that. And so I am great with losing it as a mom. I'm great with that. I do not want you to be a perfect mom out there. Because if you can't mess up and talk to your kid about, I'm really sorry I did that, then how can they learn to mess up, right? 
So there, the example of us in making mistakes is essential. So please don't be a perfect mom. If you could be, you would actually mess up your kid because they'd be like, you know, I have an impossible standard that I'll never reach. So when you lose it, and I talk to my mom's group, like I'm talking lose it in a way where you're kind of sick to your stomach and you don't really want to tell people that it happened. I don't mean in a way that's abusive. I don't mean in a way that's like dangerous for your kid. But like one of my girlfriends was like, I threw an open jug of milk across the floor in the kitchen yesterday because I had had it. (laughs) These things happen, right? That's okay. So I need to say that. But beyond that, since we're all going to have these moments where our kids do these things, we have to recognize But if we expect them to never do this or never do that, we have to focus on, yeah, you're going to fight with your siblings over and over and over and over and over. And that's going to drive me crazy. The fighting may not be the crucial thing, but the repairing with your siblings is. Mm -hmm. So if there is good repair, if there is good connection after a mom fails or after our kids having self-regulation difficulty then you and your kid and their relationships will be okay. And they're learning the lessons they need to, because there is a difference between who your kid wants to be, what I call their true self, and who they act like in the moment when they're anxiously triggered or when they, their fuel tank is low and they just don't have the impulse control. Find it their body and their brain, or sometimes I'll I'll refer to it as caveman brain, right? Their true self versus their ADHD self or their true self versus their anxiety triggered self. And so when kids say, like my son once said, mom, I'm such a bad boy. I hate that I do these things and Mm. I'm such a bad boy. That's not language we used with him. But Mm -hmm. I said, buddy, you are not a bad boy right? Do bad boys feel badly when they do something wrong? What would a bad boy say if he hit a kid? A bad boy would say, I don't care. You deserve it. Now, some kids in the moment will say that, right? But very few kids, once they're calm and their body's not in fight or flight, will say that they really are glad these things happen, right? They feel bad. They feel shame. And that's their true self when they're not triggered and you say, you're just learning, bud. You're just learning to manage this body and you're just learning to manage this feeling. But that makes you a really good boy that's working so hard. And that's so impressive, right? Yeah. That's not a bad boy thing. And those are that, uh, that's essential to help our kids understand that their true self is different than what happens when they're dysregulated. And so when they're dysregulated, we can repair those moments. Because if you're impulsive, I've already done it. There's nothing I can do to fix it, right? It just happened. Yeah. So if we can take those things that happen that I'm like, oh, I did it again, and learn how to repair it, then our orchid kid is much more protected. Yeah, it's like as adults modeling true self versus our non-true self. And then for our kids teaching them, my friend today was telling me, she has three kids and she's telling me she's in the car with them. She took them to the zoo and her oldest kid is like a big reader. And so she had a book 
next to her on the seat and her, she's like 10 and her little three-year-old sister wanted to see the book. And so she held, she held at the book and the older kid is like, no, give it to me. And so the little three-year-old starts to move the book further and further and further out. The windows were open and she puts the window out far away and the book goes flying out on the freeway out, out onto the street and the older and the older kids start screaming bloody murder. I mean, my friend thought that like someone had died, you know, in the car. And my friend said, I got so angry. I was like, I, I was trying to control myself, but I couldn't. And I'm like, ah, you know, like what's happening? She's like, and I, she goes, you know, she threw my book out the window with the three-year-old. And so she pulls over to the side of the road. She goes, I know I need to stop driving. She pulls over to the side of the road. And then she says, I immediately go to turn to the back to my three-year-old and go, you're going to have to pay with your own money for a book for your sister. <laughs> and then she like listens to herself as like, oh my gosh, that was crazy. How could I ever, you know, like expect a three-year-old to be right? Because the three-year-old goes, I can't do that without a parent, mommy. <laughs> so she said then, you know, she went back later and said like, can I have a do-over? I'm so, I'm, mommy got really upset and I know, you know, maybe you were upset or you were just trying to protect yourself or put the book out the window and gosh, I'm really sorry, sweetie, that I said that to you. And it's like that repair moment. Absolutely. Of, I lost it, but that's not my friend at her core. It's just my friend when she's like, all in the whirlwind. Yeah. It's her cave mama brain. Right. And same goes for our kids. Our kids do that stuff too. And absolutely. There have been times where my daughter's been, you know, she's kind of like, I call it like cycling up, you know, she's like getting overwhelmed, cycling, cycling, cycling. And she'll even say sometimes like, I'm getting so overwhelmed. I just can't handle all this. Mm-hmm. And that I, I've learned to be able to say to her in the early stages, it doesn't always work, but sometimes to be able to be like, baby, remember who you are. Mm. This isn't, this isn't you. It's okay. I know you can calm down. It's okay. Look at me. Let's breathe together. Doesn't always work, but I can see in her eyes, like she's fearful as she's getting into this place that is not her getting overwhelmed. And it's a reminder to me too, that it's not hurt yourself. And honestly, that's probably the most powerful piece of it is that I'm like telling my own brain when she acts like this, and it starts getting into like she's aggressive or hitting or fighting or throwing something. Like, even if this does escalate, that's not really her. That's just her and her, like, you know, limbic system in her lizard brain. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the challenge with things that that's 100% true with tantrums, reactivity, all of that impulsive dysregulation, meltdownness. Mm-hmm. The challenge for parents with anxiety, though, kids who have anxiety, is that they often do too much of the coping work when it comes to facing things that stress their kiddo out. Mm-hmm. Right? So when your kid's already decompensated and is reactive and is impulsive, they need that co-regulation yep. sometimes to calm down. Now, they also need space. Yep. Like taking space, which is my phrase for timeout. Timeout yeah. is not a punishment. We grew up on this as a replacement for spanking. Yeah. And timeout is not a replacement for spanking. They are not right. the same application, right? Timeout is like, whoa, you need to go be away because your brain is thinking 
that we are dangerous lions. And so you're in your fight or flight mode. So you need to calm down. And when you're calm, then we'll talk, then we'll do blah, 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 right? Yes. So that is really the goal of timeout. And so if we stay in it sometimes, right? Like you said, it doesn't always work. So you're like, oh, baby, remember who you are. Take a deep breath. You can tell the difference between a kid who's going with that and who wants that support and a kid who's feeding off of that. And and all sometimes as moms, we provide the fuel for our kids tantrums just by being in it and talking too much. Yes. There are times that you have to just say, and that I just, I mean, I didn't even say anything. I just go, I'm going to gently (laughs) move you to your, to your calm down space. You know what I mean? Like we're done here for a minute. Not because I don't love you. I don't say that, but like, just because I know in my brain where we've crossed a line. We have to just have you now have a moment to regroup. Yes. Which by the way is not unique to kids and is not unique to ADHD and anxiety as uh, spouses and partners. We need the same thing. There's been some super interesting research about going to your calm down spot before you try and fight with your spouse. Yeah. So that's pretty universal too, but yes. So, so I just wanted to connect that co-regulation you were talking about with also the times that you say, oh, you're not going to let me regulate with you. You're right. going to regulate against me right now. So you need to go calm down. Right. But then the other piece is less about I'm impulsive and melting down and more about I'm amping up in my stress, my anxiety, and I'm fearful and avoiding something. And a lot of parents then do, when you have a kid who's anxious, it's one of two sides that you probably bounce between. And one is the cheerleader side. It'll be okay. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You've done this before. You like these friends. You know, you, you always have fun once you get there, right? All of the cheerleading we do to like get them over Mm -hmm. the hump. Or the like, I'll talk to the person and I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. So you don't have to face it. Right. So we've got cheerleading. I'll take care of all the burden until you flip to the opposite side because your kid with worry, it never lasts and it just keeps going. And they're like, you've had the same conversations over and over again. And they've come out of their bedroom for the 50th time. And you're like, I've I've had it. I'm done. We're not talking about it. And you kind of like, throw them into the deep end of the pool, figure out how to swim on your own. Mm-hmm. And often they will. And it's that dance between you overdo the work. And then you're like, have no more reserve in your tank. Either one of those are you as the parent doing the regulation work for your kiddo. Mm-hmm. And so I like to come to the middle and say, it looks like you're feeling really upset. You're feeling really overwhelmed. You're feeling really scared. You're feeling you know, worried, your brain's going a mile a minute, whatever. What can you do to help yourself? Yeah. Because if you give them the tool, if you give them the reassurance, what is, what do you think is true? What's your brain telling you? What have you done in the past, right? You want to get them to begin to find those answers. Because I, I find that parents with anxious kids, we are so stressed by their stress that we just want to end their stress as a way to get away from it all. It's just, it's too much for both of our bodies. We have to let them be in the moment. Now, a lot of kids will say, I don't know. 
I don't have anything that helps. Nothing works. And that's where they need coaching on tools. But if you never let them stay in that moment where they have to do the coping, then no matter what tools you're teaching them, they don't have to use them because you do a better job. Right. Yeah. You have to help them be the ones that eventually problem solve for themselves. Facing the thing that stresses you out in small, predictable doses is essential for kids with anxiety to get over their anxiety or to make improvements. Essential. And that's that small amounts of toxic stress that you were talking about, like little packets of it over time so that they build their muscle. I mean, they build their problem-solving muscle, right? Yes. Well, kids with impulse regulation, kids with ADHD, have done lots of research that they face higher amounts of negative feedback from the environment. They get scolded more. They get into peer conflict more. They have difficult relationships with adults and teachers. They are more accident prone. They are more likely to be in like coercive peer relationships. So then they have injury and and stress and toxic exposure. So thinking about ways that we can buffer our kids from you have these neurologically fragile kids that then are in a higher stress environment. And that stress response can really influence further development. So that's, I I mentioned toxic stress because if that is something you're facing in your family where there's been stressors and trauma and things like that, you, you really want help and want to have conversation around that. I mean, all the the progress we've made in trauma-informed care is essential for these kids thriving and being resilient. But not toxic stress is good for your kid. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying don't ever let your kid be stressed, Mm -hmm. right? We, I said it on the last time, I say it all the time. We don't want kids who never struggle. We want them to know they can handle the struggle. And so if you have an anxious and avoidant kid You don't want to keep them from the things that stress them out, but you also don't want to throw them into the deep end of the ocean, right? So it's about finding little ways for them to practice holding stress so that that next time they can draw on, remember what happened? And then the next time and the next time and the next time and the next time. Yeah. Gold information. I want to speak to the fact that my guess is that for some mamas who are listening to this, if you have an, a kid who is overwhelming to you over and over and over again, maybe due to their anxiety or their ADHD or other behavioral issues, that as you're listening to this, if you're like, oh my gosh, now I don't know exactly what to do because I feel like I, like I can't do too much of this or too much of that. I go in the middle. Now I don't know. Ah, even that's overwhelming me. This is why you need the support from psychologists from a pediatrician, from a group of other people who have ORCID kids, because this is a learning experience for parents as well. And just a reminder that, of course, you know, no parent's perfect. You're not going to do it perfectly every single time. So I just want to make mention for these parents that, you know, it's all about having a North Star. So you are going to mess up. You are going to have to make repairs with your child when you don't parent in a way that's what you hoped that you would parent like. (laughs) But then you're also going to have to make repairs with yourself when maybe 
you don't have grace for yourself when maybe you don't do it in a way that like your kid would come back to you and be like, wow, you acted like a jerk to me, but more like, I didn't do it exactly this way. I wasn't in the middle. I was too far over on one side or the other. And that is the way actually to get to the middle is to be able to have enough grace to yourself to say, okay, I wasn't exactly how, what might be the most beneficial to my kid? What micro adjustment could I make next time? So that that way it is more effective for my kid and more productive for us as a family unit. It will help them actually move in the right direction. Because so many of these things, like you said, Kristen, is about like protecting our own overwhelm or dealing with our own overwhelm as parents where yeah, you are like coddling too much. So then you're like, well, that's because honestly on that day, I didn't sleep last night. The other kid like, you know, was having a tantrum too. And I just got overwhelmed. And so I was like, what will make it so this will end right now? I need this to end. (laughs) I need this outburst to end. And sometimes you will be on the other side where you're like, I've just had it. I can't deal with it at all. You know what? (laughs) Deep end you go, right? As long as it's not abusive, the goal is to over time for us to build our skills as parents so that we can create a family structure and support our orchids and help them to grow and thrive over time. So just an encouragement on that and that you are not alone. So you don't have to do it alone. And so many of these things are about finding a support person, a professional support people, and then also a community that can help support you on your journey. I mean, I I just go back to, if you can embrace your imperfections, your mess ups, the doozies and see that that is okay. And it doesn't break your connection with your kid, with your friend, with yourself. That is the most important thing for being an orchid gardener. It's the most important thing for all of us, but belonging, connection, having a place comes not by being good at everything, but by being imperfect. Mm-hmm. And having those imperfections accepted. And so these are things to think of when you're wondering, what do I do? Because so many parents feel like they're trying this, that, this, that, this, that. So now you have some nuggets. Like I talk about parenting zones. Some of you have heard about zones of regulation. Well, it's not really that, but it's like, am I in the red zone as a parent? Then do whatever the best you can. You know, like throw a temper tantrum yourself. You're in the red zone. Just get them to bed. Just coddle them. Just whatever. When you're Mm -hmm. in the red zone, yellow, be aware. You don't want, you want some stretching, but try and find some green zones where you can work on some of the things intentionally to build this scaffold. But please don't be in the green zone all the time. Like have your red zone moments because those moments are the places where you belong to your kids. Those moments are the places where that kid belongs to you because you don't have red zone moments with the grocery store clerk or your like friend from yoga class that you talk to. You don't show your red zone side to them. That's why you don't belong to them. The people we belong to is who who gets our red zone. And that is okay. It's, it's essential. So no shame mama. If you are struggling and you feel like you're bouncing around, Amen. If you honestly, I say this all the time to clients. If you sat outside my window, I don't know that you would come see me. (laughs) Same here. Same on my street. My the the people, my neighbors see me with my kids, and I'm like, 
I'm like, I'm not a pediatrician. I don't have nope. a website. I don't do a podcast. <laughs> don't, nope. Please don't watch me. <laughs> because you should not be able to do it right all the time. I routinely no. have Dr. Kristen on my shoulder saying, well, that wasn't the way to handle it. And I know better. And I'm like, I really think that this job, without this job, I don't know that I would have been a very good parent because of my ADHD, because of those things I struggle with. But there is a way through that where you can have an attached, loving, wonderful relationship with your kiddo. And it is not based on you doing all the right things. You guys, it is here. Our new programs have landed. They're at modernmommydoc.com. We're so excited about them because we've just been thinking about how could we provide more accessible, digestible information for mamas out there who really want to elevate their motherhood experience. And so we have four programs now at Modern Mommy Doc. The first is taking care of you and your newborn which is all about helping to prepare yourself or taking care of yourself and your baby in the first month of life. And then parenting and partnership, which is about how to work as a team with a co-parent to really make sure that you are on the same page and working strongly together and making the best possible environment for your kiddos to thrive. The third is the Mama Reset at home retreat, which is really cool. It is a collection of experts who are there to provide you with a chance to reconnect with yourself, to recenter, to think about what you want in your motherhood experience, but then also to give you some practical applications within the actual time we have together. So opportunities for journaling, for gentle movement, for learning all about nutrition, really hands-on practical applications, but then also a chance to have some mindfulness there in the moment. And then finally, navigating and regulating children's big emotions, which we know is a big one for mamas. We're also working on that one. And so we are providing in that program a lot of extra help about how to take care of our own emotions as we parent, and then also how to meet kids where they are and use really evidence-based strategies to help our kids understand their emotions, to name their emotions, and then also when their emotions just get too big for them, how to help to calm their nervous systems and how to help them become the 35-year-olds that we hope that they will be. I hope you guys will join me. You can go to modernmommydoc.com for more information. Hey, 